Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity to worship with you this morning. You know, the last time that I was here was a very special day in your church's history. The room was oriented this way, and Scott was preaching this way, and it was a start of your Sunday morning services, and what a joy it is to, to see and to hear all that God has done in and through your local church. I mean, we, we, our church loves to partner with you. We pray for you regularly. Uh, it's a joy to be able to do that. And like Scott prayed, we look forward to uh, the year of faithful collaboration and partnership for the sake of the gospel, planting churches, helping other churches be healthy and revitalized. And so thank you for, for so warmly uh, welcoming me. I want to ask you a question this morning uh, as we start. How difficult is it for you to ask for help? How uncomfortable are you seeking assistance? Asking for help is essential in life. We train our children to ask for help, don't we? Instead of resolving matters with their own little fists in conflict with other kids and other siblings, we say, come and ask a parent. We train high school students to ask for help uh, from tutors and from teachers. Uh, we, we teach athletes to ask for help from coaches and trainers. Employees, it's imperative that we appropriately ask for help from your team, for your collaborators. We teach church planters and church plants to ask for help, for pulpit supply, for assistance with musicians, for advice during thorny issues that arise in the life of the church. I wouldn't be pastoring today, but for the kindness and grace of your other sending church, Hope Fellowship in Cambridge, and the advice that Curtis Cook, their lead pastor, has helped me with. I was taught to ask for help. We teach Scott to ask for help. It's essential in life. It's essential in the Christian life. The ability to ask for help demonstrates a humility because you're acquainted with your insufficiency. You're understanding your need. Asking for help also demonstrates trust, that you know to whom to turn for assistance and support. So this morning, I want to explore a passage with you that will motivate us afresh on asking for help, for spiritual assistance in particular. This is a passage that showcases the character of God for us, the character of the God of the Bible that we're here today to worship. Friends, God is a help giver. He delights to assist his people. He delights to hear the dependent prayers of his people toward him. He's a trustworthy shepherd. He's a faithful keeper of your soul. And therefore, he can be called upon. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. You can find that in your service guide on page 13. Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you, your going out and your coming in, from this time forth and forevermore. Now here's the framework of this passage. Here's a, a pathway that we will progress through this passage. So first we see our need for keeping. Our need for keeping, verses 1 and 2. And next we see the Lord's tireless keeping. The Lord's tireless keeping, verses 3 through 6. And then thirdly, we see the Lord's ultimate keeping. The Lord's ultimate keeping, verses 7 and 8. So that's a, that's a pathway for us this morning. Our need for keeping, the Lord's tireless keeping, and then the Lord's ultimate keeping. And the central idea that I'd like to encourage you to embrace this morning is that the Lord is your ultimate keeper. Trust in him to take you to your heavenly home. The Lord is your ultimate keeper. Trust in him to take you to your heavenly home. Now you'll notice in your Bible there, there's a, there's a heading over Psalm 121. It says a psalm of ascents. It's also known as a pilgrimage psalm. There are 15 of these in your Bible. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. These are psalms of ascent. It's thought that these psalms were sung as Jewish pilgrims would make a pilgrimage three times a year for their high holidays. Passover in the spring, and after the Feast of Passover, five weeks, the Feast of Weeks, they would go again, and then later in the fall, the Feast of Ingathering, sometimes called the Feast of Booths. So three high holidays where Jews who were scattered out abroad would come and descend on the city of Jerusalem. And it's thought that they would sing these psalms in anticipation of what was going to happen on the Temple Mount as they went to worship. So on one hand, they're physically ascending, not in, a, in necessarily a northward direction, but they're going a change in elevation. They are physically moving upward to Mount Zion, the Temple Mount. But also on a spiritual level, their souls are ascending in worship of the living God. They are anticipating what will happen on that temple mount, on those high holidays. So their souls are ascending. Their bodies are ascending too to the temple mount, but their souls are preparing for worship on those high holidays. Along the journey, these worshipers would need help. Some came from hundreds of miles away to worship through difficult rocky passageways through bandits who lurked in the shadows. It was a difficult journey for many. And so the thought is, they sing this song of dependence and help from the Lord as they make that journey. So given that backdrop, let's make our own journey through this psalm of ascent, Psalm 121. First, we see our need for keeping in verses 1 and 2. The psalmist sings, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? The psalmist is giving us a little window into the peril of the journey. I lift my eyes to the hills, hills, mountains. These are creation structures that are somewhat foreboding for pilgrims. The difficulty of the journey, the exhaustion of the journey, the dangers of the journey. Where do bandits hide around rocky crags and difficult passageways? I see the hills foreboding as they are, and I know I need help. And where do I turn? My help comes from the Lord. 
as these intimidating, foreboding mountains are in view, the psalmist asks a very good question. Where does my help come from? From where does my help come? The psalmist knows his need for help. He's well acquainted with his insufficiency, with his need. And the psalmist knows who provides him his help in time of need. What does he say? My help comes from the Lord. Here's an exercise for you to do this afternoon or this week. Just use a, a, a concordance. Or search even online. How many times you see the verb to help in the Psalms? And then ask yourself, who is the subject of the verb to help? 28 times over, the Lord is the helper of his people. He's the subject. The Lord is the helper of his people. A simple exercise that will encourage your heart in your time of need. The Lord is a help giver. He's the helper of his people. God is committed to helping you along your spiritual journey as a follower of him. Notice what truth in the text the psalmist points to for proof of God's power to help you. Where does he point? What activity, what trait of God does he point to? My help comes from the Lord, verse 2, who made heaven and earth. As proof of God's power to help you and to help me, he points to creation. And his line of logic is if God can create the heavens and the earth, certainly he is well supplied to help you in your time of need. The psalmist points to God's power in creation. I have a good friend, used to be at Hope Fellowship Church, his name's Larry Brown. He loved apologetics. Loved to win people over, particularly to the truth of the resurrection, the evidence, the empty tomb, the power of the disciples post-resurrection appearance. But he would always begin, look, the resurrection is certainly a, a, a power display of God, right? But he would take people, what's even more mind-boggling is God's out-of-nothing breath creation. He speaks and it comes into being. We like to follow up with our kids after Sundays. We have kids' classes like you do, those faithful volunteers who are investing in your kids. You have that before service as well. So we'll just ask our kids, what, what, are, you, what are you learning? And one time the lesson was on creation, and I asked Cecile, who's nine, she was probably five then, I said, what do you know about creation? And she says to me, Daddy, God talked. I said, what do you mean God talked? She said, Miss Jenny said, God talked and creation happened. That's it. Out of nothing. Ex nihilo in Latin. He speaks and it comes to being. That's the power of God. That's where the psalmist takes us to. Creator, maker of heaven and earth. If he can do that, oh, he can help you. He can help you. Creation's foundational. I'm going to encourage you, in the midst of your difficult days, get out on a walk outside. On your lunch break, go prayer walking. See the beauty of God, the power of God manifest in creation. It will encourage your heart in a diff difficult day of software development or teaching or whatever it is that you do. Just look outside. No matter the season, God's power is on display. Get out and see it. He's your helper in the midst of your day, and it will encourage you to see what he's done in creation. The heavens declare the glory and the power of God. Get outdoors. Go on a prayer walk in the midst of your day. It will encourage your heart. 
from where your help comes from. No power is like God's power. He's committed to helping you. The creation power is what the psalmist reminds himself in his own time of need. I want to ask you, are you aware of your own need? The psalmist is acutely aware of his own insufficiency. He confesses it aloud, and it's been written down and passed on to us. He's aware of his need. He's humble enough to declare his need. Do you know your need? Do we know our need? And do we know to whom to call in our hour of need? Would it be okay if I shared a failure moment with you as a father? A year ago, we had the opportunity to go to Disney World with my younger sister. And so we've been looking forward to this. We wanted to get our money's worth, you know, so we figure out, like, all the cheats and how you get there early, the line dropping and the, the, the little app on your, your phone, how to make the most of the day. It's so, you know, you see, these, you see these shirts, most expensive day ever, and it's true. It's crazy, but it's fun. We want to give our kids a good time, so we wanted to get there early. So I said, all right, I'm going to take Cecile. She was eight at the time. I'm going to take Soren as well. He's five. This will, this will stretch him a little bit, but I want him to enjoy the time. So our first ride, we got there right when the line drops, we got in on the Seven Doors Mine Train, and it was fun. The kids had a great time. And there were some older cousins who were kind of inviting us along to do something a little more challenging. So the next up was Space Mountain. And I said, you know, Soren's five. Let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and do this. So we got there. And if you've not been to Space Mountain, the, the summary is it's dark and it's fast. A roller coaster in the dark, and it's fast, and it drops suddenly. And so you don't sit side by side, you sit front to back. And so I'm in the back, and Soren, my five-year-old's in front of me. And I knew we were in trouble when it got dark, and the first drop happened. And we are twisting, and we are turning, and it's dark. And suddenly I hear the awful but sweet sound of my little boy. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God. and I wanted to just crumble as a father because it was his foolish father that put him into that predicament. But the silver lining was this. He knew to whom to call in his hour of need. I'm like, we're doing something right. He's calling on the Lord, not his foolish daddy. He didn't say, daddy, help me. He said, oh, God, help me, please. That's what he was saying. I was so crushed, but I was so thankful that he knew who he needed to call upon in his hour's need. Do you know who to call on in your hour of need. The psalmist does. The psalmist does. How are you in need this morning? Are you lonely? Was a single? Are you in need of relationship and friendship, fellowship in the life of a local church? Are you in need of a job, resources to pay a utility bill? Are you in need of encouragement you're just demoralized perhaps you need of physical help i just want to encourage you seek the lord this is not a health wealth prosperity this is an invitation to follow the the scriptures and ask the lord for help in your time of need and brothers and sisters the truth is our greatest need is a spiritual one our greatest danger on the spiritual pilgrimage of life is our own sin. 
It's the flesh. That is our greatest need. And God delights to rescue us from sin and its consequence, death. We teach our kids every summer at Vacation Bible School. Many of yours do that down at Hope Fellowship Church. They're wonderful hosts. The ABCs of the gospel that they learn on day three. A, what is it? A, admit to God that you're a sinner and repent. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. C, confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But what is A? What is number one? Admit to God that you're a sinner and repent. We've got to become acquainted with our need. Because that place of humility positions us to go to the one that can actually help us with that need, that spiritual rescue. How does self-reliance hinder you from seeking spiritual help from God? How are you seeking to just figure it out on your own, your own intuition? Self-reliance is dangerous in the Christian life. How does it hinder you? Maybe you're here today and you're, you're exploring the message of Christianity. You're exploring faith in Christ. What a wonderful thing. And I can say on behalf of Scott and the elders here and the membership, we're glad that you're here, that you would seek to explore who Christ is. But how does self-sufficiency blind you from your own need of Christ? Beware self-reliance. Beware self-sufficiency. We major on it in our culture. Power, individualism, self-reliance, they will blind you from seeing your true need in Christ. The psalmist makes it abundantly clear that God is a faithful help giver. He's our faithful keeper. And this is where the psalmist takes us next. So first, our need for keeping. Second, the Lord's tireless keeping. The Lord's tireless keeping. We see this in verses 3 through 6. The psalmist says, he will not let your foot be moved. The, the word move is to, to waver, to totter, to shake. He's going to keep you steady step by step along that journey. He will not let your foot totter or shake. He will secure your spiritual footing all along the way and bring you to your destination. As you look to him, as you trust in him for help, he will not let you fall away. That's the promise here. God's keeping power is all over the Bible, certainly displayed here in Psalm 121, but it's also in Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. What an amazing promise. Psalm 55, and then Jude 24, which we read this morning. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Wonderful promises. These are all parallel passages that confirm the truth of God's tireless keeping of his people. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God's keeping is tireless. I love my father, and I love his father, my grandfather, who since passed. Faithful fathers, faithful grandfather. But you know what would happen about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock after dinner every night? It just My grandfather would fall asleep with coffee, and he'd wake up with just like coffee down his... You know, he, he, was, he was such a hard worker. He, he was such a faithful protector. But the, the reality is he fell asleep. The promise here is the Lord who watches over you never falls asleep on the job. 
He never dozes off on the wall of your life watching over you. He doesn't tire. He doesn't grow weary. Isaiah tells it in Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Know what Isaiah does too. He goes back to creation power. It's all through the scriptures. He does not faint or grow weary. Isaiah, like the psalmist here, is encouraging God's people with the fact that God is a tireless keeper of his people. He never grows weary of taking care of you and me. Do you believe that? Difficulty, heartache, pain in your life is not evidence that God is asleep on the job. In fact, as Dave DeBond said, him allowing you to go through that is actually evidence of his keeping and his care for you because he's refining you and maturing you and developing your faith through that. So pain and difficulty and suffering is not evidence that he's asleep on the job. Keep trekking with him. He's refining you. He's there with you all along. He's keeping you through it all. He's a tireless keeper. The Lord is your keeper. Uh, the shade on your right hand. This is an image of protection. Ancient warriors would stand on the prominent side, the right side of the one they were caring for and protecting. If you've been to a traditional wedding, which side does the father come down the aisle and walk his daughter? It's on her right side, her prominent side. And which side does he give the groom? The right arm, the right side. He's on your right side, your prominent side. He's protecting that, that important side. That's the imagery here. God is side by side with you, protecting you. The psalmist continues in verse 6, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. God's keeping is tireless day and night. That's the imagery all the time. He keeps his people through the trials of day, the scorching sun. He is our shade. And also through the trial of night, through the fears that lurk at night. He is our protector. He's our shield. Notice with me what word is repeated throughout this passage and what is the author trying to communicate through that repetition? Repetition is the ancient author's way of bolding, underlying, underscoring, like emphasis. What's repeated throughout here? Keep, keeper, five times over in the passage. A short psalm with a word that's repeated five times. The author's creating emphasis for us. The Lord is your keeper to keep, to guard, to protect, to shepherd. That's the idea here. God's keeping power is the emphasis, and the psalmist wants to make sure we're crystal clear on it. The Lord is your keeper. Our need for keeping, the Lord's tireless keeping. Thirdly and finally, the Lord's ultimate keeping. The Lord's ultimate keeping, verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you from going out, you're coming in, from this time forth and from forevermore. What a powerful promise. Forevermore. This is an eternal keeping. Now, can I ask you, does this mean that the Lord's people will not face persecution, suffering, martyrdom? Is that, what, is that what's being communicated here? No, physical, temporal protection is not God's aim here. Though he does and has 
provided that, but not in every circumstance. And we see that through the history of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God is using martyrdom, death, to spread the gospel. We see it among the nations now in closed countries. So physical, temporal protection is not the aim here. The idea is soul-keeping. The word here, life, in Hebrew is is soul. It is a soul-keeping. God promises to usher our souls to their heavenly home. Consider the recurring encouragement in the Bible not to fear man, what men can do to the physical body. Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. That same warrior imagery is on my right side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? May harm me, cut me down, slay me. But what can they actually do to my soul? Jesus picks this up in Matthew 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. There's a, there's a keeping illustration. The hairs of your head is numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, key question. How are our souls kept until the end? How are our souls rescued and kept until we arrive at our heavenly home? Brothers and sisters, through Jesus Christ, our good and faithful keeper, our good shepherd. And let me just take you to the keeping passage, a comparable keeping passage in the New Testament, John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch my sheep out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Our ultimate keeping is accomplished through our ultimate shepherd, who in John 10 says, lay down his life for the sheep, to rescue us from our greatest peril, sin and its consequence, death. And having been rescued by him, brought into his bosom, no one's going to snatch us out of his arms. Twice over in John 10, no one will snatch you out of the arms of Christ. You are secure. Though today we're not headed to a physical temple, brothers and sisters, we're on a spiritual journey. Rest assured that your faithful shepherd, your ultimate keeper, is with you along the way. By faith in him, he's rescued you from sin and death, and by faith in him, he will be beside you all the way to your heavenly home. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're exploring, what would you say you trust in for security? What are you banking on for support in your life? And if you're honest, how... Is there a neurotic insecurity because you know those things you're trusting in are futile? There's not not a big enough nest egg in the bank to give you true security. Your parents, as faithful as they may be, as encouraging as they may be, they're not enough to truly secure you. 
there is only one who is the true keeper of your soul. There's only one who can rescue your soul. It's Jesus Christ. Trust in him for that rescue and trust in him to take you all the way to your eternal home. The Lord is your ultimate keeper and he will take you to your eternal home. I want to share the lyrics of a hymn by J.R. Baxter. Perhaps you're familiar with this. It's, the world is not my home. I want to leave you with this. The first two verses of this hymn, the world is not my home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now onward I go. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Notice the confidence expressed through this hymn. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor. Friends, we are weak sheep, but we trust in a strong shepherd. Keep your eyes on him. He's your ultimate keeper, and he will take you to your heavenly home. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. What a privilege it is to, to study it, to hear it preached, to apply it to our lives. Father, help us to cling tightly to your word. We're thankful for this, the historic witness of your people who look to you in their time of need for rescue, for protection, for peace, for support. Help us as your people grow in dependence upon you to see the folly of trusting in lesser things. Father, I pray for friends here in this room who are coming to terms just with the futility of, of, of trusting in their own intuition, self-reliance. God, empty us of that. Let us see this, the, the folly of that. I pray for some who are considering you as, as their shepherd. Lord, would you win them over by your spirit? Bring us to our knees, Lord. Teach us to trust in you as our ultimate keeper. God, empower us this week to reach out in love and in grace to others who are desperately in need of rescue and keeping. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.